Exodus chapter 18, starting at verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for, his peop- for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with, this, with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the law and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Well, if we had to describe the average American in one word, uh, one word to describe the average American might be busy. Many of us feel the weight of busyness, and maybe busyness keeps us from doing things that we know are healthy or things that we would like to do. Dr. Susan Coven, who practices at Massachusetts, Massachusetts General Hospital, in a recent interview with the Boston Globe, wrote this. She said, In the past few years, I've observed in an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient suffering, suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, 
bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it's easy to recognize the condition is excessive busyness. There's a poll conducted in a county in Los Angeles, and they asked people, why don't you get more involved in your community? 49% of people said it was because they were too busy. If you ask people, why don't you exercise or uh, be active, most people will say, it's, well, I'm just too busy. According to the Barner Research Group, they looked at people who had reported that their Bible reading had gone down over the past year, so they've read less of the Bible over the past year, and they asked people, so why did you read less of the Bible? The number one answer was, they were too busy. But despite our feeling that we're so busy, there's evidence to suggest that we're not even quite as busy as our ancestors were. If you look back 40 years, you look at men, they, worked about, they work about 12 hours less today than they did about 40 years ago. Women, on the other hand, work more so outside the house than they did 40 years ago. However, things inside the home, they, they work less inside of the home with modern conveniences like microwaves or dishwashers, laundry machines. And apart from that, Americans' leisure time has gone up. So you would think that since they're spending more time doing things that are life-giving and things that are restful, that you'd feel less busy. And yet we still feel busy. So why is this the case? Why do we feel busy even though compared to our ancestors maybe a hundred years ago where they were working out in the fields, you know, 12 hours a day, had no time for any leisure pursuits. Why do we feel so busy? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons. You know, one might be the advent of social media and the fact that we're often addicted to our computer or our phones. But I think there's another reason. And uh, Sylvia Beleza, a researcher, has studied this extensively. And uh, he did this study where he showed participants Facebook status updates. And uh, for these Facebook status updates, he would show people uh, two different types of people. The one type of person would indicate that they were busy. Like they would say, like, I guess I'm not going to get home early today working on this project. Or I guess I'm not going to hit the golf, golf game this weekend. And they would do things to indicate that they were working hard and they were busy. Other people would talk about their leisure pursuits. They'd say, well... Can't wait to go to the beach this weekend. Can't wait to go snowboarding. And so they asked these, the participants, so what do you think about these two different types of people? The people who are wor- indicate that they're working hard and the people that are, you know, do these leisure pursuits. And they suggested that the people who were working hard were people who were wealthy, who had a lot, a lot of money. And the people who were, le- who were doing the leisure things were probably not very successful. Then they did a cross-cultural study. They studied uh, Italians and Americans and how they responded differently to these scenarios. And they did it slightly different. They told a story, and basically it was the same kind of story. They told a story about one person who was always busy, always working, always doing things. And then they told another story about a person who, you know, liked to do a lot of leisure things. And they talked about all the leisure things they'd like to do. And what they found was the Italians looked at the person who was doing a lot of leisure pursuits. They said, that person must be rich. He must must have the time to do whatever he wants. He's got freedom. He can do whatever he wants. But the Americans that looked at that person said, there must be something wrong with that person. He's not working. 
They said in the words of uh, Sylvia Fuleza, he says this, that they were, they're, they're probably cannot work. There must be something wrong with them. And they're going to go back to work as soon as they can. And so what he discovered from this and similar studies was that Americans find busyness to be virtue. That busyness is something that we should ascribe to. That we should always fill our time with different things. And because if, if this is our national virtue, then when we do have times, we'll fill it up. We'll feel compelled to always respond to that email right away, or the text message, to always be available. And the truth is, when we see busyness as a virtue, as we see it's something that we should ascribe to, we can always fill our time with something. Because there's a lot of needs in our world. And we can go from thing to thing to thing, trying to meet every need that we can, and continually stay busy and work ourselves to death. And I think that's what Moses is doing in this passage. We don't know exactly what he, he was thinking, but we know that he had a lot of need. We know that people are lined up from morning to evening, bringing all different types of disputes for him to solve. You know, you have thousands of people living together in this kind of nomadic community, and you can just imagine the quarrels and strife that would, be, uh, that would come with all these people living together in this close parameters. And so they keep bringing these requests to Moses. And he just kind of goes through each one and tries to meet each need, but he's drowning in all the need. And as we look around in our culture, we live in, you know, Buffalo metro area has over a million people. Our city, North Tonawanda, has about 30,000 people. And sometimes the needs can be overwhelming as we see all the different needs that are in the community. And we live in a global community, and that means that we know about needs throughout the world. And sometimes it can be overwhelming with the amount of need that's set before us. And if we're not careful, we can be like Moses and literally work ourselves to death, going from thing to thing to thing. And that's what Moses is doing, and he, he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. But Jethro, his father-in-law, comes, and he realizes something that is wrong. And what's interesting is in this text, if you might have caught, uh, caught on to the fact that he repeats over and over and over again that Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He repeats it 13 times, which, of course, is not very necessary. You only needed to say it once. But the author is probably trying to indicate that this person had a very close relationship with Moses. That Jethro is not coming as an outsider who's trying to condemn and judge Moses. He's coming as a parental figure who generally cares about Moses and his welfare. And we know the difference between those kind of approaches, between someone who just wants to shoot us down and condemn us and someone who actually cares about our welfare and wants us to be healthy and get better. And that's what Jethro is to Moses. He cares about Moses' welfare, and he comes from a place of genuine concern and love. And so he says to Moses, What is this that you are doing for this people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Look at how Moses responds. He says, Because the people come to me to inquire of the Lord, I decide between their disputes and tell them the laws and decrees of the Lord. Note that Moses gives a very spiritual response. 
The people want to know God's will, and I need to show it to them. They're bringing their request, and they want to know what God's will is in this particular situation. So how could I possibly turn them by, turn them, turn them away? And the thing is, when we are given to this plague of busyness, there's two justifications that we often have in our minds. Number one is, I don't have a choice. That's what basically Moses is saying. I don't have a choice. People are coming to me with these disputes. I have to listen to them. There's so much work to be done. There's nobody else here to listen to the disputes. I have to do it. And the second thing, the second justification is, I'm doing something good. I'm doing spiritual work. How could what I'm doing be wrong? I'm sharing the gospel. I'm serving my neighbors. I'm working in the church. I'm doing all the right things. How could what I'm be doing be wrong if I'm doing God's work? But Jethro says, what you are doing is not good. And look at what Jethro says. He says, you and the people with you certainly will wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Basically, what Jethro is saying, and I'm not sure who said this, uh, but um, I think it's encapsulated in this quote, uh, if you are always available to everyone, you'll not be good to anyone. If you're always available to everyone, you won't be any good to anyone. So Moses is there from morning to evening. He's deciding all these different cases. They're bringing all different things to him. And pretty soon he's going to burn out spiritually. He's going to burn out physically. He's going to burn out emotionally. And as people are coming to him day after day after day, he's going to get to a point where he probably is going to take some shortcuts. He's not going to inquire of God. It's not going to give the cases what the cases are due. And also the people are going to suffer. They're going to suffer maybe for some faulty judgments. But also they're lined up from morning until night. So they might have to wait days to get before Moses to get his attention. And by that time, maybe they've decided I'm just going to solve this by myself in whatever way I see fit. And they choose to solve it in an ungodly manner. And so Jethro gives Moses a plan. He says to them, I need you to make a hierarchy of leadership. He said, make chiefs of thousands, chiefs of hundreds, chiefs of fifties, and chiefs of tens. And that Moses, and Jethro indicates that Moses is to choose a particular kind of person to fill these roles, to be leaders over the people. He says there to be able men first. The word able might be translated also as men of ability. Men of moral worth or men of strength. They're to be capable men. People who can hold their own. The second thing he says is that they're to be people who fear God. And what's interesting about that is when we think about someone who's capable, who's able, we think about maybe somebody who's confident, who doesn't have any fear. But Jethro tells Moses, you need someone who's capable, who is willing, who's able, but also someone who fears, who fears God. And then he says, finally, that he's to choose people who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, people who are given to justice and honesty. And he says, they can do the things that you can't do by yourselves. He says, you can decide the biggest matters yourself, the most weightiest matters they can bring to you, but the all other smaller, insignificant matters they can handle by themselves. And what all these things indicate is that God has put in place people to help Moses. That there's people who are there. There's people who are capable, people who fear God, people who are trustworthy. 
And Moses just has to utilize them. He needs to allow them to help him in his task. And then Jethro says, if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Thankfully, Moses has the foresight to listen to his father-in-law. He listens and he does everything that his father-in-law says, and he's surely blessed for doing that. So what is all the point of this passage? What does this mean for us today? I think it means that we need all of God's people to meet all the world's needs. We need all of God's people to meet all the world's needs. And some of us here here, and we're like Moses in the sense that we have a lot of needs in front of us, a lot of people crying out for our attention. We have a long to-do list, a lot of things that we got to do. And through this busyness in and of itself is not wrong. We go through seasons of our life where we're busy, where we just have a lot of things to do. And it's good to have things on our schedule that we, you know, are doing that are life-giving. But the problem is when they kind of suck our life from us. Where they kind of get out of balance, where they take away these kind of healthy balance of rest and work. Because God has kind of designed it so that we would work and find fulfillment at work, but also that we would rest and find relaxation and rejuvenation and rest. And so the problem is when we get those things out of balance and when busyness consumes us and we see that as the overarching virtue that we always have to fill ourselves with stuff that we have to do. To meet every need that is before us. And we sometimes we feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. And really when we do that, it's really a failure to believe the gospel. It's really trying to be our own saviors. It's trying to save everyone else in our own strength. Trying to meet everyone's needs in our own strength. When God has designed His church, all of us together to meet the needs of the world. The weight's not on your shoulders. and It's not on my shoulders. It's on all of our shoulders together. Psalm 127, 1-2 says this, Lest the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. For some of us here, maybe we don't need to ask the question, what should I do? But maybe we, today we need to ask ourselves the question, what should I not be doing? A few months ago, there was an article on BBC.com by Alison Berain, and it was entitled, The Power of a Not-To-Do List, in which she talked about how many of us need to figure out the things in our lives that we can take away, things that are sapping strength from us. So the question I have for us, those of us who are caught in the trap of business, what are some things in your life that you shouldn't be doing? What are some things in your life that are taking away your strength? Maybe it's media use. Maybe it's excessively checking email or excessive television watching, excessive gaming. Maybe it's excessive work. Maybe it's, you know, your work is just completely draining you and keeping you from the things God's calling to you and keeping you from your family. I don't know what those things are for you, but what are those things in your life that God is calling you to say no to? I mean, because we... If we say yes to everything, remember, we won't be good to anyone. I mean, there's so many things that we could pour our energy and our life into. And if we spread ourselves too thin, we're not going to be good to anyone. So what are those things in our life that maybe are 
causing us to be stretched too thin. That we need to say, you know, that might be a good thing, might be a legitimate need, but I have to say no to that right now. But for others of us, maybe we've fallen into the opposite trap, the trap of idleness. The dictionary defines idleness this way as the quality, state, or condition of being lazy, inactive, or idle. Whereas people caught in the trap of busyness constantly fill their schedules with stuff, people who are caught in the trap of idleness never have anything on their schedules. The refrain of the idle is, I'm bored, have nothing to do. The idle drift through life relying on someone else to carry the weight. And for those of us who are like that, need to realize that your brothers and sisters are buckling under the weight that they're trying to carry. And maybe God is calling you to come over and take some of the weight off of their shoulders. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10-12 says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. God calls us to work for the betterment of our families, the betterment of our community, the betterment of our society. And he's called us so that we would find fulfillment in producing, of, in doing work. And I realize that there's some who are legitimately not able to work. And, you know, Apostle Paul and myself would never want to kind of heap extra guilt upon you to make you feel inferior if you're not able to work. Some people are not able to work, and this passage doesn't apply to you. It says if anyone is not willing to work. There's many people who are willing to work, but they're not able. Might not be able to find a job, might have health difficulties that prevent them from doing that. So that's not a condemnation to anyone who's legitimately not able to work. But if we are able, we should be willing to work for both in a physical job, but also for the betterment of our communities and the betterment of our societies. Because idleness, too, is a failure to believe the gospel. When we're idle, we have this kind of belief that, yes, Jesus saved me. He died on the cross for me. But he didn't die for me for a purpose. He died so that I could just kind of sit around and wait to go to heaven. But he died to make us holy. And he's prepared good works for us that we should walk in, according to Ephesians 2, verse 10. And so he's calling all of us to work together to meet the world's needs. We need all of God's people to meet all the world's needs. Last year, last July, um, beachgoers to Panama City uh, Beach in Panama City, Florida, found themselves witnessing an amazing event. Two kids were playing in the water, and a riptide came and took them out to the sea. Immediately, their mother jumped in to save them, and she also was taken uh, taken out. And after just a short time, there was a crowd that was gathering around, looking, wondering what they should do. One onlooker said, man, they're all stuck out there. The riptides pulled them out. He says, I tried to go out there, but if I go out any further, I'm going to get stuck too. But this man who said that, his wife was there, and she came up with a plan. And she instructed the people to make a chain. 
that they would grasp arms with one another and wade into the sea, that they would be anchored to the shoreline by each other. As many as 80 people worked together in this fashion, arm in arm, holding on to each one or each other in order to anchor themselves to the shore. And in just a few short, stressful minutes, they were able to rescue both the boy and his mother. And the truth is, we live in a world that's dying and people around us are drowning every day in the weight of sin. To minister to them, to reach them, to serve them, we need all of us standing arm in arm holding on to one another, working for the good of the gospel, working to meet the needs of the world. We need all of God's people to meet all the world's needs. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you came to the earth to die on the cross for our sins. And we thank you that you allow us to be a part of your mission of redeeming the world, that you could use us in our work, our efforts, our everyday jobs, our ministries, all the things that we do to bring you glory, to bring beauty to this world that is so broken and dying. Lord, I pray for those of us who maybe are caught in the trap of busyness and we feel like we're just overwhelmed and sinking under the weight of all the things that we need to do. Lord, I pray that we would take the time to do business with you and And ask you, God, what are the things that I need to take out of my life? What are the things that are maybe legitimate things, but things that are preventing me from doing my best, preventing me from serving you? Lord, for those who maybe are caught in the trap of idleness, God, I pray that today they would ask themselves, God, what are you calling me to do? What needs around me are there that I can help meet? God, what things around me have you gifted and equipped me to help with. Lord, we know that we need all of us together working to meet the needs of the world, but most of all, we know that we need you and we need your spirit. And Lord, I pray that we would come together as a church and as a community to link arm in arm for the sake of the world, for the sake of the gospel, and that your spirit would go forward and that your spirit would change lives and change the world around us. Christ's name I pray. Amen.